and get the stuff rolling. Get, get everything going here. Romans chapter number 9. Uh, we're down now in verse number 6, so we're just going to kind of keep moving along here. Uh, actually, this is a pretty big passage uh, in, in, uh, in, in this section here. Uh, verse 6, not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. <coughs> that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, having, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, and that is Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, this is a big passage. As you read it, it's very confusing. What's he talking about? What's going on? And again, Paul is going to begin to answer the first objection to, the, his, to his ministry and the Acts period specifically, historically. But really, this is going to help all of us as we begin to say things about Israel being set aside, being cut off. Uh, verse 3 there, for I could wish that myself were accursed. Israel is accursed, and we looked last time at what all of that means and what it stands for and how it works out about being cursed, separated from God. They're no longer the, they're cut off, God's not with them. They're, they're no longer the children, they no longer have that special status with, and so forth. And again, when Paul starts preaching the, the ministry uh, and the dispensation of grace and the gospel of the grace of God and the change in the program, instantly he's called a liar. Liar, liar, no, no, you know, 1,500 years or better, Israel's been God's people. Now you got a guy in Acts 9 saying, no more, okay? So there's an opposition then that gets leveled, and there's accusations that's going to be leveled here, and, and in actually the whole of chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is defending God. Again, Romans is a legal treatise, courtroom th uh, scenario. Paul is defending God and God's word, God's because there's these, these accusations. Look at verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. There's an attack here on God's person and on his word. And his word is saying that, hey, Israel's cut off. They're accursed. They're, they're, they've lost their special standing before God. They've fallen. They're, they've lost their privilege. They've lost their table of blessing. They've lost all of that. They're now nothing but heathen. Acts 7, that's who they are, heathen. They're uncircumcised in hearts and ears. That's who they are. So now Paul comes in, and he's moving that message. We looked last time there in Acts 13. He gives, Paul gives that great historical uh, 
history lesson of Israel. And then at the end, he says, it's this man, talking about the Lord, that now you're justified by the things that the law of Moses couldn't justify you. That's a great shock for Paul to say, circumcision availeth nothing. It's useless now. That's Galatians. That's early Acts uh, in his his Acts ministry. So now we have accusations. You're a liar. And that's why he says, I speak the truth. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. Why? Defending his message, defending his apostleship. And now what Paul's going to begin to do is demonstrate that what God is doing today is in line... With his, with his, it's within his rights to ultimately change the programs, to move. And the reason for the change, the reason for the dispensational change, is because Israel has fallen, has lost her special position because of their unbelief. And that's really the end of chapter 9 there, Verse 32, wherefore, because they, and that's Israel, the Jews, sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They fell because of their unbelief. And that's really, if you go read Acts 7 in Stephen's message, he gets down there to the end calling them uncircumcised. It's because of their unbelief that he's labeling them. But yet at the same time, what, what is there in Israel? There is a little flock. There is a believing remnant. There is the circumcision. There is the true Israel of God. But what is their status? Just that, they've lost this privilege here. So Paul's going to begin to look here. That's why the list in verse 4 and 5 we looked at last time. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? And of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. That table of blessing that they have, it was theirs. Uh, Newell in his commentary on Romans said, Religious privilege is not the same as spiritual reality. The list in 4 and 5 is their religious privilege. Because as Israel, as God's people, here's what they get. But you know what it didn't fix? Their spiritual reality that they're still the sons of Adam. And they need to be cleaned up as well. So Paul is going to show, he shows Israel's table of blessings, if you will. Uh, Actually, he'll look over and uh, he'll talk here in a little bit about that table being a snare. David said it. They had tremendous privilege, yet what did Israel fail to do? They re- failed to recognize the, in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that who was he? Messiah. They failed to recognize that he was the fulfillment of the prophets, that he did come. They failed to recognize who he was. They literally rejected him. They literally crucified him will have no king but Caesar. When, by the way, when they say that, you know, you read that, they are literally saying in a public manner, we don't want our kingdom that's been promised to us. 
Because if they wanted their kingdom, what would they have said? We'll take our Messiah, thank you very much. But they don't. They said, we will have no king but Caesar. So they're running, the leadership in Israel is running the white flag up of, we don't want our kingdom. You can keep it. Politically, religiously, they have fallen. So Israel here, Paul's saying in the age of grace, the dispensation of grace, Israel's status is that of a cursed, cut off. So with that come then three three objections. And you know who makes the objections? The religionists do. I call them the religionists. Because really what's going to boil down to you and I, you know, you and I today, we don't really, we have, we run into people who will say, you know, you, you guys don't like Israel, you're anti-Israel, and you know, we know that if we bless Israel, then we'll get a blessing back. Well, who really says that? Denominational brethren say that, okay? People who don't know better. Jews really don't say that, talk like that anymore. They just ignore you because you're just a Gentile dog and they just move on from you. But when you begin to understand that, hey, wait a minute, who is really opposing us? Who's really doing the end there of chapter 8 when we went through all that list of suffering in verse 35 and so forth? Well, it's the adversary. So what is the adversary doing? He's using religion. That's how he blinds the minds. That's how he works. You know, he could care less if you go down to the bar down here and have a little Paps Blue Ribbon or whatever and Budweiser. He not, that's, he's not worried about that. He's worried about what we're doing right now, <laughs> studying the Word. So what do you do? He, again, he just takes it, tweaks it a little bit, and he gets the church, the body of Christ as a whole, to believe that if we go bless Israel, then we'll have a blessing. If you say that, you're ignoring or failing to understand Ephesians 1.3. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can go bless Israel all you want. It ain't going to change Ephesians 1.3. So save, save your money and effort and energy. Put it in the offering box and put it into here. And do something that's going to make last for eternity. And it's nothing wrong with helping. Help for the right with the right understanding. Okay, that's what Paul's going to get into. Verse six: the accusation is God's word didn't work. God's word is of none effect. It's unreliable. It's not working. Verse fourteen is the next objection. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Now they're going to attack his person. God is being unrighteous in how he's dealing with Israel. Then in verse 19, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? See, God's being unreasonable when he changed the program. He didn't really need to change it. He just needed to fix Israel. No, the problem isn't God. That's what Paul's after here. The problem isn't God's word. It isn't God himself. The problem is Israel, the people. What are they? They are sinners. That's what they are. That's why Romans 9 comes after Romans 3, verse 9. 
Remember what Romans 3.9 says? Look back there. What have we proven? Romans 3.9, what then? Are we, and that's the Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. What are they? They're sons of Adam. So when you come back to 9 here, what Paul's going to do now is he's answering the accusations. He's answering the objections. So in 6 to 13, we have the first objection, which is God's word ain't working. God's word didn't work. And you know, that's typical man, isn't it? When something goes wrong, it's a natural thing to say, what's wrong with God? Instead of what did I do or how did I mess up, God messed up. God did this. Why? What's wrong? God's word says, you know, all those blessings would come if I just obeyed. I've been out here doing and doing, and look, at it, it's just, instead of getting roses, I got thorns, you know, and just all oh, God's word isn't true. And yet the reality is, is who's the problem? Not God and not God's word, it's the people. So Paul's going to demonstrate here that God's word historically, in Israel's history, has always been working. It's never not been working. It's always had an effect. That's why in verse 4 and 5, God says, here's who Israel is. Who are they? They have this special privileged relationship with God. But yet, none of that list has really come to pass yet. They haven't received their adoption. They haven't received, we looked last time, their adoption out there in the kingdom. Their glory out there in the kingdom. That hasn't happened yet. So, maybe God's word really isn't right. Maybe it really isn't effective. Maybe it isn't really working. And again, the conclusion as we go through this over the next couple of weeks is going to be, you know what, God's, it's not God's word. That's the problem. It's really the people. God's word is effective. It's just Israel is defective. <laughs> I saw that. I like that. God's word is effective. Israel, or you could say the people, are defective. It's, God's word is always effective. The problem is in Israel because Israel was operating on the basis of unbelief. They weren't believing. And I'll say again, as we talk about Israel, we're not talking about the individuals. We're talking about the nation. And you have to remember that. Because individually, how are they justified? By faith, a, a positive response to the word of God to them. What did the Word of God say that Jesus Christ was? The Messiah. He came in John 1.11. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, verse 12. So there are some that do what? Believe that he is the fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures concerning the coming of the Messiah. There he is. They create, they become the little flock. That's why Wednesday night, and we're studying through Mark right now, the gospel studies are tremendous because you see the Lord 
not going out there winning the world, as everybody thinks. He's over there setting up, getting together, gathering up together that little flock, the believing remnant, because there's a remnant doctrine in Israel's history that Israel has failed to understand and to see. And that's what we're going to get into here with Paul and what Paul's going to say. God's word does work, it did work, and his dealings with Israel did produce, did accomplish, look there in verse 11, his elective purpose. And you see verse 11, I know it's in a parenthesis because he's adding some information there. In the middle of that verse, he says that the purpose of God according to what? Election. And I know what, the Calvinistic brethren go nuts. The covenant theology guys go nuts. We talked a little bit about them last time. They just run rampant with election in Scripture never talks about salvation. It never talks about doing stuff to get saved. Look, look, look at verse 11. For the children, what? Being not yet born. Okay? Neither have done any good or evil. That the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. Election here, God has an eternal elective purpose. And he was, he's been carrying it out all throughout Israel's history. Now it's doing something different. He's gonna, by the way, he's got a different purpose, to, an elect, a different elective purpose today. We learned about that in Romans 8. What's he got going on today? His purpose in the heavenly places. Here's his purpose on the earth. But see, election, you run that word election, and the religionists go nuts. And it's like, wait a minute. When the Lord says in Isaiah, here's, here's the Messiah coming, and he's mine elect. If election has to do with salvation, you just made the Lord a sinner. You got problems. But then he looks over and he says, Israel is mine elect. But not all of Israel are Israel. So then election has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with service, being usable by God. If you notice in verse 11, his election, his elective purpose, this election here, does not cause anyone to do good or bad. The Calvinist will say that this side of the room will do good because God before the predestinated before the foundation of the world that this side of the room is going to do good. So you guys go to heaven. You guys are doing evil. You're all going to hell. And you go, huh? What is that? Where did that come out of that verse when the verse clearly says, neither having done any good or evil? There, he's talking about peop, future people coming that haven't had a chance to do anything yet. By the way, the end of that verse, not of works, but of him that what? Calleth. Who called the nation of Israel? God did. He set it up. He looked at Abraham and he said, okay, I'm going to put up a wall right here. It's going to call circumcision. Middle wall of partition. We're going to separate out your people, your seed. The ones on the right side of the wall are mine. They're going to be a part of what I'm doing. The other side are cut off. We're going to be uncircumcised. I hope you're remembering all this. I'm just preaching to the choir. But you got to remember this because we're in where? We're in a passage that some of us, and I say us, 
you'll break your fool spiritual neck over trying to figure this out because you try to make it say something it's not saying. God's elective purpose is independent of anyone doing good or evil. It's independent. It's not a cause for one guy to do a good deed and another guy to do an evil deed. God's word didn't fail. Rather, his elective purpose has been, was being carried out throughout Israel's history. That's why Paul begins talking about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob. Why? Because that's where, that's Israel's beginning. That's where that seed, that's where this remnant mentality, remnant doctrine is going to be established. That's where this issue of there going to be, there's literally going to be two things that are going to happen here. One thing that's going to happen with Abraham is that there's, and, and, and really, again, God's elective purpose, his purpose here, is to create a literal, physical, visible nation called Israel. That's number one. What's his purpose? I'm going to call out of the nations a nation, my nation, and they're going to be my people. Do you ever wonder why he gave them the fact that they couldn't wear blended material. Do you know that none of that had anything to do with hygiene or health? Why did he have them, why didn't he say, all right, if you're on my side of the wall, everybody over here, your, your hair is going to be purple from now on. Why didn't he say that? He said circumcision. Well, there's some spiritual issues. What is he doing? He's setting out his people. When it says they got to wear all wool or all cotton or whatever, they can't have blend. It wasn't any for any health issue. It was to say what? When someone looked over and saw them, they were like, they're different. Why are they different? We're eating ham and eggs. Why aren't they? We just had a big old bowl of shrimp creole. Why aren't they? What's, what's, what's up with these guys? You see, that stuff wasn't health-wise, health issue. It was a separating them out. So first, he's going to take the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's going to create a literal, physical, visible nation. And then, through the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's then going to call out of that nation a separate nation. He's going to call out from them the believing remnant, the little flock Moses, you're in Romans, right? I hope so. Look over in chapter 10. Look in chapter 10. Oh. Moses. Oh, I just had it. Where did it go? Oh, I'm in the wrong passage. That's why. <laughs> 1019. I'm like, 919 didn't work. 1019. But I say, did not Israel know? Look at that question. First, Moses saith. So wait a minute. Didn't Israel know? They've known this since when? The beginning. Since Moses. And Moses is their big guy. We go back to Moses. We read Moses daily. What did he say? 
I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish, what, nation, I will anger you. By the way, that's Deuteronomy 32. They haven't even gone in the land yet. And what's Moses saying to them? This big nation, you're going to be provoked to jealousy by a, a no people, by a foolish nation. Why do you think the Lord goes up into Galilee to call 11 of the 12 apostles, fulfilling the prophets, shining light in the darkness, pulls out of the light a group of no people? They're nobodies. What the Pharisees say, the, the Sanhedrin say about Peter, where'd you learn your stuff at? What school did you go to? You sure enough didn't go to our school, because we don't talk like that from our school. We're a little more, more polished. Why? They're, they're who? They're nobodies. They looked over at Peter and Acts, and they said, you know, oh, Herod's going to kill him and get him. Why? Because it pleased the people. But who was Peter? He's nobody. Why is that? What, Deuteron what did Moses tell him was going to happen? He's already, he's the prophet, that second of the two witnesses. That prophet, here's Moses. What's he say? Hey, <laughs> guess what? A foolish nation's going to come and get you guys. No wonder in Romans 11, Paul says, I'm here to, to provoke them to jealousy. Why? Because there's a thing going on there that they understand historically how this is going to work. God's word has been working. The second, by the way, the, the foolish nation there in Luke 12, well, Let's go back to chapter 9. Let's stay on task, and I'll get there. We're going to get there, okay? In Luke 12, he calls them, fear not, little flock. And everybody, oh, you're going to be little flockers. A little flock has to do with who? The believing remnant of Israel. It has nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ. You know, you just got a guy that's got all upset about something. He can't figure out how to articulate it well enough, so he starts pulling things out of thin air. 9-6. Notice, not as though the word of God had taken none effect. That's the charge. The word of God is of none effect. It's been ineffective. It isn't working because, you see, if it was working, none of this would be going on, and we would be rolling in the blessings over here, verse 4 and 5. So something's wrong. We didn't do it. God did it. But now watch the rest of the verse. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Notice that Paul is going to introduce into the conversation here of two types of Israel. He's going to introduce an issue here that it's not enough to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but rather you there's a spiritual component that has to be addressed as well. They that are of Israel are not what? All Israel. That's the, that's the answer to the objection. And then what he's going to do in 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 is support that conclusion. The conclusion is, is that there's two, there's two people groups within the nation. The physical nation doesn't by default inherit the blessings listed in 4 and 5. The nation doesn't, the physical nation, the descendants don't by default inherit that. 
Who ultimately inherits that? The little flock, the, the circumcised believers do, the believing remnant. Okay? The guys who are believing and trusting, the overcomers in Revelation, all the Old Testament saints that trusted the Word of God, did what it said, went to the grave knowing. You think about, Ab oh man, you, all right, we're off on a rabbit now. Look at Hebrews 11. This, folks, this stuff about Israel, it's so critical to understand. That's why we spent 45, 47 weeks just looking at Israel's basic history several years ago on a Sunday evening. It's all on the YouTube page, okay? But, and actually, there's, I, I want to get kind of back into it here after the first of the year because there's just more. Because if you don't understand Israel, you will fall for the pretense that you replaced Israel. If you don't understand what God's doing through Israel, with Israel, and her history, you will literally think, you will, you will, you will fall for the covenant theology that you figuratively replace the nation of Israel. You'll fall for it. And you'll fall for it with good intentions. But you fall for it because you don't understand what he's doing with Israel. Look at Hebrews 11. Abraham, the, the, the hall of heroes, of faith heroes here. It's fascinating that in chapter 12 when he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. The cloud of witnesses is Hebrews 11. That's the witnesses. In verse 8, Hebrews 11, 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, what did he do? Obeyed. Isn't that interesting? See how faith is being defined as obeying? He obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he, whether he went. What did he do? What did God say? Abraham, go. He goes, okay, let's go. Pack it up. Move it out. Rawhide. Here we go. He's like, Where, which way are we going? Don't worry about it. I'll tell you. And off they go. Now look at verse 13. These all died... In what? In faith. In faith of the trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No. What was Abraham's promise? What was the things, well, he says not having received the promises, what did Abraham get as a promise? A land, a people, a seed, and a blessing. Go out there. Lot went goes that way. Abraham, you go here. You see all that out there? It's yours. And I'm going to raise a seed. I'm going to give you and Sarah uh, a, 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 a magic baby. Isaac, he's the kid. He's your seed. And off they go. But they died where? In faith, not having received the what? The promise. Could you imagine? God, here you are. God tells you you've got something good. And yet in your life, and then he tells you you're going to die and you won't, you won't see it. You won't receive it. But you're going to die. Now, most of us would go, yeah, okay, whatever, and go the other way. Abraham didn't. He what? He obeyed. He goes. But having seen them afar off, that's why 11.1, people say the definition of faith is not, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is not a definition of faith. That is what faith does. The definition of faith is that word 
obey. Definition of faith is a positive response to what the Word of God tells you. You had faith that that pew would hold you up. Why? Because you have experience sitting on it. See, faith is subjective to who's giving you the input. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, how do you walk by faith? Because God's word did what? Tells me that's what it is. How do you know you're blessed with all spiritual blessings? Because the word of God told me. If the word of God doesn't tell me, or if I question the word of God, then I don't have faith. I'm walking around in some unbelief here. And I've got to do what? I've got to correct that. I've got to fix it. Go back to Romans 9. Get back on track here. Not all Israel are Israel. There's two types. It's not enough to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they, all, they also must be usable by God. So there's a spiritual life. There's a spiritual component that has to be addressed. That's why the Lord would look at Israel and say, the Father can make these stones the sons of Abraham. I say, you guys are of your father, the devil. Now, physically, who did they belong to? Abraham. But spiritually, who did they belong to? The devil. So he looks at Nicodemus and says, Nick, you're a master in Israel. You should know this. You do remember he does say that to Nicodemus about being born again. You remember that? Come over to John 3. I don't know. Some of you are looking at me kind of funky. I did shower. I didn't shave, but I did shower. Look in chapter 3 of John. Why no, Nicodemus asked the right question. How can a man be born again? What you got to do, go crawl back up in mom's womb? And I mean, that's a good, that's a good question, but that's not the, the, he's missing the point. What's the point? There's a spiritual condition that you got to get taken care of. Israel, my firstborn. Born physically. But there's a spiritual component. That's why the Lord would come in and say, Moses told you don't commit adultery, but I say if you think it in your heart, you've done the deed. Now, it's RJ's versions, okay? But look at John 3. Look down at verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, talking to Nicodemus, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? That would indicate that the issue of them having to have a spiritual birth was already listed in the prophets. It was already in the book. Guess what? It is. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 28. There it is in the scriptures about them having a reborn, a new birth, a spiritual birth. We call those passages the New Covenant. That's what the Lord's doing here. Nick, you should have known this. It's in the book. So the issue of two types, come back to Isaiah 55. The issue of two types, uh, two, two people groups, if you will. Um, well, I, I do this on, we've done this on Wednesday night. Here's Israel. Uh, Isaiah 5 calls Israel a vine. It's, they've been planted in the earth. But Israel is not all Israel. There's an apostate. They've become apostate. They've fallen for Baal worship. They've been succumbed 
Micah introduces it. Dan takes it. Ahab makes it the official religion in Israel. It's Baal worship. Elijah goes down and deals with that, but Ahab and Jezebel have already cemented it in Israel's fabric. God looks over there and says, there's going to be a famine of my word to you. For 400 years, you ain't going to hear a peep out of me. That's why you've got the writing of prophets, the majors and the minors. Why? Because God looks at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and says, write this stuff down because I'm not going to speak to them. He looks at Hosea and he says, you go marry Gomer, that whore over there, and have some kids. Why? And you're going to name them, I'm not my people, and I'm not their God. Why? Because that's their spiritual condition. But you know what he also says, one day I'll remarry her. Give them a bill of divorcement. Get rid of, why? Because they are apostate. And that travels through all of the prophets. It travels all through. So God's word is what? It's working. It's moving. And Paul's demonstrating that, that when anyone objects to God's word not working, it's really, no, it has been working all along. You just don't like the way it's working. You guys with me? I hope so, because anyway, this stuff's exciting. Isaiah 55. You there? I'm not. You think about Israel's history. They come along, then all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up. Who's OJB? He's the crier in the wilderness. Prepare the way and make, the, make it straight because who's coming? Messiah's coming. The king's coming. Here he comes. So John the Baptist comes and shows up and he introduces that issue of repent and be baptized. And he introduces the issue of water baptism. And, and, and it's a ceremonial thing. Peter says it in 1 Peter, it's not for the cleansing of our sins or the blotting out. It's just a ceremonial thing. But how do you get into this? He starts, John the Baptist reaches out and he starts bringing in people into this, what the Lord's going to call the little flock. Then you have, he announces the, the Lord shows up. The Lord gets 12 apostles and, and he calls this group the little flock. Moses refers to it as a believing remnant. He looks at it, you know, oh, Elijah, oh, Jonah's over there boohooing, and Elisha's boohooing, and God says, get up. I got 5,000 down in Egypt that haven't kissed the ring of Baal. Come on, you're not the only one. They think they're the only thing left. He goes, you're not. I got people all over the place. Get up. Let's go, boy. Come on, we got work to do. Who's down in Egypt? Well, there's a group of the believing remnant down there, that remnant mentality. It's been flowing. It's been going through this. Look at Isaiah 55. Just, just catch the history here. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it, and that's the word out of his mouth, shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. How's the word of God? What's the word of God going to do? Is it going to come back void? No. What's it going to do? It's going to accomplish what he sent it to do. 
So when the scoffers ask, where's the kingdom? When they say, and they, you know, hey, the prophets talked about us getting the kingdom. John the Baptist taught, what did John the Baptist say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The twelve, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in the Acts period, it's repent and be baptized, and you get the Holy Spirit, and you're going to produce fruits that are meat for repentance. All this stuff, it's been, you guys have been blabbing about it. Where is it? So then they say what? Well, God's word's not working because it's not happening. Paul's going to say, no, it's been working all along. Isaiah 55, 11, you know what? It's been working all along. So the question is, it, the real question then is, how is God's word working? Not is it, but how is it working? Because if you look at all the prophets, you look at all of the scriptures, none of that has happened yet. But it hasn't happened yet, not because God's work isn't word isn't working it verse 11 is clear it goes out it's not coming back void it's going to go out and accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish and that is an interdispensational uh, uh, truth if you will it, today is the same way paul gives us the word it works it goes it doesn't come back but god's elective purpose and what he's doing in israel on the earth is to isolate that believing remnant from within the apostate nation. Come over to chapter 59. You see, God's word is working, but it's working by identifying those who are going to respond by faith to what it says to them. And anyone it says different is just mistaken. Look at 59. And look at verse 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. Now watch. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. What's going on there? Everything's all messed up, isn't it? But truth has fallen in the street. That, 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 the picture there... <laughs> of truth fallen in the street. What verse 14 is showing you is the situation in Israel spiritually. Instead of truth being exalted and valued and honored and esteemed, what's happened to it? It's fallen in the street. You know what it is? It's that waste tunnel going out of town that everybody goes and dumps their waste buckets in. That's what he's talking about. Truth has become filth. It's become waste. It's, it's outhouse material now. So who, who is going to hold up the word? Who's going to come along and hold out the word? Come over to Psalms 138. You see, that who's God looking for? Who's the word of God? He's, he's looking for... A group of people within Israel who's going to do what? Hold up the truth. Here's the truth. That's what these guys do. Why in the world do you think that they come down here and then they're going to crucify the Messiah? Why does Israel do that? They don't do it because he's 
a, not, a bad guy. Pilate three times says there's nothing wrong with him. He's innocent. Just didn't have the backbone to cut him loose. But why? Because what did he say? Who did he say he was? God. He, Jesus Christ says about three or four, five or eight times, I'm God. They didn't like that. That's blaspheme. Kill him. They never doubted that he could do the miracles. They just didn't like the fact that he wasn't recognizing them. Why do you think they had a heart attack when he healed and did stuff on the Sabbath day? Woo, man, they come all unglued. Why? Because he's not recognizing the traditions of the fathers. Because when you study the Sabbath doctrine, you quickly find out it's just simply a mere ceremony for them to do something on the end of the week there and have a, have a not a day off, because by the way, on the Sabbath day, they still went out and watered the animals. They still went out, and if your neighbor's ox is in a ditch, what were you to go do? Get it out. Well, what's the ox doing in the ditch to begin with? <laughs> well, there's some activity. It wasn't for them to have a day off. It was for them to stop and say, hey, here's why we've been created, and here's creation, and so forth. But they're ready to kill him. Why? Because they didn't recognize that apostate religion. Psalms 138. You there now? Look at verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all of thy name. Now who's going to do that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ does verse 2 in the millennial kingdom. But what does that believing remnant do? That little flock do? The circumcision believers do? They do the same thing. They magnify his word. They hold up the truth. They respond to the word of God by faith. Come over to Isaiah 42. That's why in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you read, you see him over, Isaiah 42, over and over. Look at those leaders in Israel and say, Have ye not read? Ye do err concerning the, truth, the scriptures. Ha Don't you know this? It's right here. And over and over again, he confronts them. Because they lack a love for God's word. They're not magnifying his word. So he nails them. You are apostate. These guys, right there with him. They, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. Not, uh, born not of water, not of, uh, I just, 13 always throws me, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, uh, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Not of blood. Not because they're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not because of mom and dad. Not because they went over and tried to do the temple worship, the temple service stuff. But who are they born of? God. There's that spiritual birth. Isaiah 42. 
We're never going to get through this, but we'll get there. Isaiah 42, 21. You didn't have anywhere to go today either, did you? The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will, what? Magnify the law and make it honorable. When does the Lord do that? How about Matthew chapter 5? Sermon on the Mount. Gives the Beatitudes to the little flock there. Here's what the citizenry of the kingdom's going to look like. And then in Matthew 5, verse 17, down to about verse number 19, what does he do with the law? He magnifies it. He says, I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. And by the way, if you teach someone to, to, to violate it, you're guilty and out. And if you teach someone not to, and then you're good to go. Why does he do that? What did Isaiah 42 say he's going to do? He's going to do that. You see, the implication is that Israel is not doing it. They are, come back to Romans 9, they're not magnifying the Lord. They're not, why? Because they are apostate. So the Lord shows up, pulls out the little flock, the believing remnant. The Lord dies, he's crucified, he's risen. He comes, he spends 40 days with the guys in, in Acts 1 to 7. Then we've got the stoning of Stephen. Stephen looks up. The Lord goes up to receive the kingdom. Sits there to come back. Sit, he's sitting till it's time to make his enemies his footstool. That's going to come over here in the 70th week of Daniel when he comes back and he cleans their clocks. Then he's going to set up the millennial kingdom, and in that moment, there's, that's when the new covenant is established. Permanency of it is there. They've had tasting of it all back through some of this. And what happens is, is right in the middle of it is us. We're raptured out. I didn't give me enough room, sorry. There's, there's a gap there. Don't anybody email me. I, there's a space there, okay? You know, I said that a couple of Sundays ago. There's a gap within a gap in all of this. And, and people are, huh? I like, just watch early Mark studies. We went through a lot of that. All right? But see, what's happening? He's got a little believing remnant through here that's going. Not, not here, through here. In the 70th week, the book of Revelation calls them what? The overcomers. There they are. The overcomers. Why? Because they're going to be very special. They were going to be these folks going through here if he didn't interrupt the program. And they're going to carry a very special title. Now, Romans 9, quickly. I don't think we're going to get through verse 13, but we'll get there. Romans 9. Paul is demonstrating now that God's word has been working all along. The problem is the response to God's word throughout Israel's history. They don't, they do it, they respond to it out of unbelief. They don't believe it. When the three, when those three wise men, when the wise men showed up, there's more than three. When the wise men showed up, Gentile guys out of Babylon, out of the east, you remember a big guy that was back there in Babylon? Great man of, of God, Daniel. These guys have learned from Daniel. It's been passed down through. He, Daniel had great influence over that region of the world. They come in, and what do they ask? Who do they ask to see? Where is the king of the Jews? Where is Jesus from Nazareth? Where is he? What did the elders do? 
the chief priests, what did they do? Oh, yeah, man, he's right over here. Woo or did they go, what you talking about, Willis? Let's go look at that again. <laughs> oh, man, there is a verse over here. Oh, yeah, Herod, there is a verse. You know, they were operating on what? Unbelief. 9-6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. That's what Paul's going to press here. He's going to press now that the problem wasn't God's word. The problem was Israel's failure to believe God's word when it talked to them about two people groups within Israel. When it failed to, they, in, in their failure in dealing with and understanding what God's word to them has always been saying. So he says, verse 7, notice it carefully. Neither, so coming out of six, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of who? Abraham. Because what does the Jews declare? I'm of Abraham. But did Abraham have more than one boy? Yeah, he did. Little dude called Ishmael. Little dude, okay? By the way, do you remember what God, Abraham asked God to bless Ishmael? Do you remember how many kids Ishmael had? Twelve. Isn't that interesting? He gave him twelve. He said he's going to be a king of a great nations. Gave him twelve. Boy, twelve. But watch, verse seven. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are okay. Are they all children? But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. See how God's word worked there? In regard to God's purpose, this has been working since Abraham. And what does God say to Abraham? You're going to have a seed. Look at verse 9. At this time, the what? Word of promise. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have. See that word? God's word has been working all along. What's he going to do with this great nation? He's going to whittle it down to a seed. A single individual. He's going to dismiss. Now, Ishmael. And his descendants, do they have a, a rightful claim to Abraham as their father? Yes. But they're not the children of promise. Look, look there at verse, uh, uh, the end of verse 8. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The, Ishmael's seed line, they don't, that's why, the, man, you get over there and you get that cousin squabble and go, and they don't like the Jews, Israel. Why? Because they got the promise. They got the seed. <laughs> and they didn't. But they still all go back to who? Father Abraham. God's always been setting into motion his word. How it was going to operate in such a manner that the believer was going to 
disassociate themselves from the apostate. It's always been working. And when he says in verse 7, Isaac, that's how God's word is going to work. Verse 8, that is, they which are the children of the flesh. Well, when Abraham had Ishmael, Galatians, full of it, go through there and read Galatians and study, that's a child of what? The flesh. Now watch, there, these are not the children of God. So you got Ishmael and you got Isaac. Flesh works promise right not there who's the child but the children of the promise are counted for the seed for this verse 9 is the word of promise what Abra what God promised Abraham a boy a seed Abraham went out there and tried to help him Problem is, is God didn't need his help. See, that's where we're getting here. See, Israel, they want to do what? Help God. God doesn't want your help. I don't want that. I want you to do what? Trust me. Believe me. Watch him do it here with Rebecca. You see, God's word has been working. There's a, one group that's going to exist because of the flesh. And then we're t and now we're, these guys are not really talking about Ishmael's descendants because we're talking about Israel. Here's apostate Israel. How do they work? Dear Lord, don't look at me like you look at that publican. I tithe on the mint. I'm looking good today. The publican looks over there, bows his head before that mercy seat and says, I'm just a sinner. And that verse in that passage says that the publican goes home justified and the other one does not. Whew. Why? One's going to try to get in there and there's another group that's going to get in by the promise. God's setting it in motion. And that's what Paul's getting at. Paul's like, guys, in your history, God's been working all along, right here, all the way. And what God wants to do is he wants to have the right to go and to do for you something that you can't do on your own. Talking to Israel. You can't do this. Abraham can't have a kid with Sarah. Who had to help? God did. Now, it's not a virgin birth, or a it is a supernatural birth, because God did what? He helped the process for Sarah to have the kid, Isaac. Abraham couldn't do it himself. Now, he could have a kid. He did it with Ishmael, with, with Hagar. But Sarah couldn't, remember? Okay. So what did God do? Help the process. Miracle baby. Woohoo! That's what he, Paul's getting at. God has been dealing, he's, he has the right to go and to do for you what you couldn't do, 
So therefore, God has the right to come over here to a group of people who he has cut off since time immemorial, since the beginning. He's let them go. They're sinners. They're, they're just floundering in their own mess, the Gentiles, and do for them now what they couldn't do for themselves. And he's right in doing it. And it's the way it's been going. So Paul talking to Israel, God did something with Israel as a people group, and now he's got the right to go do something with the Gentiles as well. And he's doing it according to his eternal elective purpose for, Ephesians 1.10, the heavenly places. So knock it off. It isn't God's word not working. It's the fact that you are walking around in unbelief and won't believe what God's word says about this. Children of promise, verse 8. Verse 9, word of promise. Well, it's time to quit. Man. Look at, look at verse 10. Just catch this and we'll, we'll go back through some of this. Well, we will. We will go back through some of this. Not going to. We are. Look at verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, Skip verse 11, go to verse 12. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. When we look at the issue there of Esau, Esau hated the birthright. He didn't go change it out just because he was hungry for a bowl of beans. He despised the birthright. He didn't want it. He didn't like it. He didn't want it, period. Jacob valued the birthright, saw the benefit in it, saw the, the necessity of it. Now, he does a little tricking, I get that, but he saw the value. So what God say? Esau, you're not responding to it by faith, you're out. Jacob, you're in. And God allowed the trickery to happen. Didn't stop, didn't mess with it. And that's because of verse 11. In the parenthesis there. Because the verse 11, for the children being not yet, what? Born. There's a future group, that's this stuff here, that's coming. That has to have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the line properly for the Lord Jesus Christ to show up. Why? Because by promise, what did he say? We're going to do this. Okay? Now, we got a lot filled in an hour and five minutes. Okay? So we'll go back through the seed issues and stuff like that because this is critical, folks, because you and I, we face people that don't like the fact that we say Israel set aside. God's interrupted their program. He's temporarily done it, but he's doing something else. And they throw that anti-Semitic terms at you. They get all this stuff. They get all blah, 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 blah. And the thing is, is they have no understanding of what God's doing. And that's what Paul's educating the Gentile to say, hey, be careful. Go grasp what Israel's got because Israel doesn't grasp it either. And you've got to, have to understand that. Okay? All right. Trying to make sure I got everything. Now we'll pick up. If you write down Joel 2.32, you'll see the issue of a remnant. But uh, we'll look at all of that as we go through, okay? And if not, remind me. Say, hey, we need that remnant paper, okay? All right. Don't Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, we thank you for who we are in your son, for your purpose that you have placed in us. And the church, as the church, 
the body of Christ and that you will fulfill that just as you will here with Israel's program. In your name we pray, amen.